We've got a huge EC pod this week, but it's even bigger if you're an Emerging Cricket patron where we've released an extended version of this week's show. You can become a patron of Emerging Cricket from as little as two US dollars a month to sign up. Log on to patreon.com slash emerging cricket. A huge shout out to our recent signups to Patreon, Mike Fitzgerald, Harold Horseman, and Luke Reynolds. Thank you for joining the revolution in cricket coverage. This week we chat future Olympic progress, ICC development awards, streaming issues, and a whole lot more. Stick around. Hello and welcome again to another Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. Uh, we completely forgot, boys, but we passed uh, the 100th EC pod last week with you guys talking to Irena Van Zell. First, Nick Skinner. Nick, how are you? Uh, the, the change of seasons got me um, a bit scratchy, as you can hear. Oh, yeah. Husky. I don't mind that. <laughs> <laughs> the dulc- dulcet podcast tones. But um, yes, yeah, so I've got a cup of tea and a strepsil and um, I've, I've tested COVID negative, so Again. I'm all ready to go. How many tests is that now, have you had? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's multiple tests. Not, not as many as Tim, that's for sure. <laughs> hey, we're getting to my story. <laughs> Still in Brisbane, at least for this podcast, probably the last one before we do hear from him in a sunnier part of the world, Tim Cutler, future Vanuatu CEO. How are you? Well, maybe by the time people are listening to this, I will no longer be future. But yes, I'm sitting here on a lounge in the middle of an otherwise empty apartment in Brisbane. Um, <laughs> my goods have, have departed and so should I on Sunday. After a, an interesting delay was supposed to be flying on Wednesday. However, a body washed up on shore in on Afate, you know, the island that where Port Vila is. Home of the mighty Afate Panthers. <laughs> the same. Um, the officials took the, the body to the, the local morgue, wondering, was it, well, they thought he was Filipino, ended up being a working ship, had lost a crew member, and they put out a, a notice sort of for a um, man overboard. And the body, they, they found that the body had COVID. So well, Afate went into into lockdown and that also meant that my flights got postponed so i think if there's a someone was writing a book about delays and postponements so i think it, it would make an interesting one but um the, the covid zombies yeah <laughs> like, i don't want to make light of the i guess the situation well i don't want to make light of the situation that that um that, that has brought it to that point but you know when you've had a country that's only had three cases and the medical system that probably could not handle an outbreak i guess it makes sense but hopefully sunday all go Going well, I finally get there. So that's well, that's exciting. I'm still here, but uh, not for long. Can you claim? I, I know we'll get to it a little bit later, but can you claim the ICC Development Award for Digital Fan Engagement as the incoming CEO? Are you going to have that in your in your resume going forward, or is it one of those things where you know what? <laughs> no, I probably shouldn't. I had absolutely nothing to do with that. Well, I think we all had a little part to play in that, didn't we? You know, us writing copy for for the blast. So I think from an emerging cricket point of view, we, uh, there's, a, there's a little part of that that where we are. And the answer is, of course, you know, with you on the, um, on the judging panel, Daniel, uh, if you post anything about being involved in the judging panel, I will claim the Vanuatu. No, I'm joking. I'll go, I'll, 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 I'll. Fair enough. <laughs> well, your, your mum's already, uh, already brought you down to size, hasn't she? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll cop that. I was going to get into that. Well, I haven't even asked you how you're going. So it's been a big week for you. 
Uh, I'm just pretending I'm just going on as if, like, you know, that the uh, previous conversation didn't happen. You know, I know a lot of hours was spent deliberating. ICC Development Awards announced this week. You were on the, the judging panel, an elite judging panel, I, I, I must say. Some big, big names on there. How are you going? You know, now that you're, you've been outed, your name is in lights. How are you? Well... When they were announced and the voting panel was brought out, I looked at the list and, to be honest, I was a little embarrassed. I saw some of the names on that list and said, who in their right mind decided to put my name with the likes of Darnavan Neekirk, Irfan Patan, uh, Nick Hockley, who's the acting Cricket Australia CEO, and a num- number of others. Um, but, no, in fairness, it's been great to to be a part of it and to, to cast a vote. And, yeah, as you kind of brushed on um <laughs> to, i i must say that Inside they gave us there. they gave us a week to to deliberate and to vote and to give a rationale for for all of the votes and i'm glad it was a week because i spent the most part of it um tossing and turning trying to work out who i wanted to cast my votes for there was a couple of sleepless nights there where you know for for a couple of of the topics it was yeah it was it was really tricky and a lot of apples and oranges comparisons we'll talk about it later when we do go through the awards but yeah uh it was a great moment although yeah mum mum took me down a couple of notches I, I sent her a message the day before um they were announced and i said some pretty cool stuff's happening this week um gonna be on a, a voting panel f- on behalf of the international Cricket council and her reply was and i quote cool End of quote. That was that was it. She said, how, how did you end up managing that and explained? But yeah, um, really, really proud to say that it's happened. We'll get to it a little bit later. But first, boys, there's been some news from India to start off the show. And we don't normally mention India in terms of an associate cricket podcast, but there have been a few things rolling on, talking about the Olympic Games potentially for 2028 in Los Angeles. India came out this week and basically rubber-stamped the idea of sending a team if cricket was to be in the Olympics, which I suppose is, a, is another tick in the box of Olympic participation and India's involvement, and we know how much weight that carries. Nick, I'll start with you. What's the kind of significance of this moment in cricket and the Olympic movement? Do we think there's been a lot of significance made this week in, in regards to the entire situation? Well, I mean, it's it's not a done deal. Um, there's there's still um, a, a quite a quite a path to go before we see um, you know any cricketers stepping onto the field in, in an Olympics. But it's it's one more step where the BCCI didn't say no, basically, um, and and you know that's good. You know, they I was a bit worried that. At their general meeting, they would just say no, just bin it off and, and cancel it. And, you know, we all know that if the BCCI says no on this, um, it's it's not happening. So we're all, um, you know, hang, hanging off their <laughs> every move. Um, the next move, uh, you know, according to the Indian administrators, is that they're going to talk to the Indian Olympic Association and, and have some negotiations around um, presumably jurisdiction and, you know, one would think the, the funding associated with Olympic participation and, you know, maybe how that gets divided up between the different uh, the different fiefdoms. So, you know, th- there's still quite a lot of road to run in terms of, you know, getting to the Olympics, but, yeah, progress. 
Looking a bit more broadly, it's disappointing that, you know, we are all just hanging on the BCCI and that, you know, every every sort of move that they make and it's just all down to them, basically. And, you know, every single other member in, in the ICC who all want the Olympics are just completely dependent on one member deciding in the right way. But that's how it is and, and <laughs> that's how we're going. Um, look, this is the news that, that we've been waiting for and I know it's not the silver bullet you know, we're putting our weight behind the Olympics 100% and we're going for it. But look, this is a lot better than the analogy that I used a couple of months ago of, you know, someone that promises they'll go on a date with you and then it goes gets to the formal night and you realise they've gone with someone else. Um, this is great news. And even better with Brisbane looking like they're a lot for 2032 and with the clout of one of the big three behind that bid, mm. as, as it will be, things are looking good I hope that the fact that Brisbane looks nailed on to host 2032 mean doesn't mean that cricket now says, oh, look, we're not going to worry about Los Angeles and we're going to focus because that could be the Olympics after cricket has made its its, its first appearance, you know, in real terms, in the the, the mo- mm. modern modern Olympic sense. Don't, don't sleep on France's silver medal, Tim. <laughs> look, that whole story is just, I guess it is what the Olympics were then you know the fact that they were a bunch of english expats you know in in paris anyway you know <laughs> oh mate have you, have you got a spare couple of couple of hours this weekend we got a chance to come and play for pay for france but in all seriousness yeah i hope that the icc stays on for 2028 because getting olympic cricket in the states is huge we can use a soccer analogy there in terms of what having a world cup meant to the game's growth there I think they should still be forging ahead with trying to get in 2028 and meaning that 2032 is addition is two. You know, something must have happened for them to come out and say this. You know, they wouldn't just say it for no particular reason in the sense that there must be happening. I'm hoping that there's something happening in the background that means that there's some, there's been agreement, at least in principle, to them, them setting the team. But we, as we know, there's going to be that power struggle between them and India's Olympic Committee. But we can only, you know, every, you know, the hundreds of thousands of you listening to this, having having fingers crossed and hoping that that all works out because we know how big this would be for the game. But there's only one downside to this. And it is the fact that, well, I think it was George Dobell of Crick Info writing about how that T10 is being considered as being the potential format, which we've also talked about before, about how Olympic funding in a lot of places is linked to the format being played and therefore the players being picked for that. Bez, I've already talked enough there. What, what do you think about that, 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 that format and that piece? No, so my opinion is of that T20 cricket can more than easily be be done in regards to the Olympics and looking to 2028 and talking to a couple of people in the States, you know, I've spoken to Nate Hayes a little bit about this, you know, Los Angeles isn't exactly, you know, struggling to find turf facilities. I know some of them are quite run down. Some of them haven't been upkept, but there's so much vacant land and vacant space. There's so much opportunity in that part of the world to have multiple games played in the tournament. You know, that's just how the Olympics work. You know, we have a World Cup in our sport that is so concerned about having concurrent games. And that's understandable for a number of reasons. But this is the Olympic Games. You know, someone is not going to watch every single moment of every single event at the Games. That's not how the Olympics work. You could you could run a tournament with eight teams if you absolutely had to, but there's no reason why you can't make it a format of 16 teams over a 
12 to 14 day period in a 16 day period Olympics. You want to give the you know potential cricketing Olympic athletes an opportunity to to kind of celebrate being in the village and no, and not really being playing every single day of the competition. But there are so many different formats that you could come up with that would negate and would avoid so many issues, potential logistical issues in regards to holding an Olympic tournament. You know, it's not rocket science. You know, you could have up to three T20s on the same ground on the same day, maybe even more if there were floodlights provided. You know, games would be played from 10 in the morning to eight in the evening. It could easily be done. And everyone's in the same boat in regards to the the challenges that that would bring to the traffic of the surface, to the state of the pitches, the state of the outfield, the state of the grounds. Everyone would be in the same boat. It, you know, you're not necessarily lessening or decreasing the social construction of what a good standard of Olympic cricket would be. And the other thing is too, the best advertisement for cricket is... I think, a format that international players have played a lot of, and that's T20 international cricket. I don't think it would be in cricket's best interest if it was to be a T10 international tournament and one that players don't know how to, to play in. Okay, you can look at the European cricket example and, and see how it works there, but it makes sense in that regard. You know, when Daniel Weston came up with that idea, it was very much a carnival aspect. He had to get eight teams, an eight-team Champions League done in three days T10 was the best vehicle for that. Uh, he had teams from all over Europe. He had no idea what the standard was going to be like among the eight champions. Ergo, a T10 competition made a lot more sense. From an international point of view, you don't need to do that. And you you don't need to worry about matches being played concurrently because we're not going to be worried if we can't watch every single game of cricket. You know, I'm sure there'd be enough channels to stream India if you want to watch India play Australia or you want, you want to watch... Ireland take on, you know, a qualifier outside the full members that just so happen to qualify for the Olympic Games. It's not difficult and it could be done. It just seems to be this sort of cash for comment kind of area of cricketing discourse that is really pushing the idea of T10 and making us think like we need T10. We don't need T10. Yeah. Owen Morgan and uh, Kumar Sangakkara, and uh, they've all they've spoken it into being. They've just <laughs> they've, joined they've the kept... chat. I think they just joined the Zoom call. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> they've just they've just said it so many times that it's it's become true. I don't know. It's 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 so strange, and I, it's it's just frustrating because the the whole T10 chat is based on basically false premises. I think you know they're, they're talking about the time constraints. Well, as Peter Delapena pointed out, the original. Uh, World T20 competition in 2007 had 12 teams, and that was over in 14 days. The Olympics is 17 days, so that's within the time frame. Um, and that's that's just a tournament that's already been done. That's 12 teams. The recently concluded uh, Women's T20 World Cup this oh, last year was um, that was 17 days. So uh, you don't need T10 to get through a tournament quickly. Um, I, I think that's just a, a lack of imagination in terms of the format. Um, and it'd be a bit of an own goal for the ICC to push T10 because the IOC, you know, the International Olympic Committee, they they want a, a format that has serious backing from the governing body. What does T10 have? It, it's got one league in the UAE, which has been under a cloud of a number of corruption scandals have, have emanated from that league. And they've got the uh, European Cricket Series, which, you know, with all due respect to, to Western's vision, 
it's <laughs> it's amateur club teams. It, you know, it's it, and and of course the the Vanuatu T10 Blast, which is probably the best exponent of T10. And I'm not just saying that because um, uh, you're, oh, you're going to Vanuatu, yeah, Tim. <laughs> yeah, so I just think going with T10 in the Olympics would be um, a mistake. And I mean, it would be uh, very helpful financially to the Abu Dhabi League. Um, but I, I don't, I mean, other than that, I don't really see much benefit to anyone, honestly. Yeah, I think um, to, you know, what T10 is doing, let's not underestimate the power that T10 is having in emerging nations of growing the game of maximizing participation and and what is growing from the ground up and we're going to see a european t10 international tournament um, later this year and i'm excited to see how it's received and and whether it's it, it does get the eyes of the cricketing world watching this new format albeit in a non-status environment but you know who, who knows but yeah the olympics has said before that they want it to be the pinnacle and i know that's in inverted commas when it comes to certain sports in an established format and t10 is not an established format definitely not in in international cricket so yeah i, I, I know that you know we're looking at it from an olympic point of view and saying you know t10 is no good for i, I think we're, we're in the early days of t10 at the moment we're in the early 2000s of of t20 at the moment with t10 with a lot of people saying it, it's it's not this and it's not that but i i, I think in a decade maybe two we'll look at it differently but Getting cricket in the Olympics, it should just be T20. And this is coming from a guy who one day a long time ago pitched t- the Sixers as an as Olympic sport to maximise the teams and, and, and whatnot. But I, I may have been slightly, you know, I may have had an agenda in the fact that it was, it was the, Hong, the Hong Kong <laughs> Sixers at the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, were, you, were you doing an Owen Morgan, Tim? Yeah, I, was, I, was, I was. Not quite. I was paid to go to my first ICC conference and do that. And I... I look back now and it was actually I, I was talking to the now interim ceo of of the icc about it and it's interesting you know because the response was and it was in a very relaxed sort of setting and i'm not kind of telling state secrets but the answer was you know we've already got three formats you know why would we bring another one in which you know it's funny that we now look at it today and the fact that there's another format growing but you know that only two decades ago there were only two formats um, of the game played internationally so I think there's definitely a future for the game but I'd, it's a no-brainer really um, moving on and discussing you know some of the associate members that have done amazing things over the last year we uh, we saw the ICC development awards four awards uh, we saw the regional award winners for the four different accolades a fortnight ago they were all nominated as global nominees for the Global Awards, and we saw the Americas take out two of the four awards. We saw Vanuatu take out the ICC Digital Fan Engagement of the Year, and we saw Uganda take out the Cricket for Good Social Impact Initiative of the Year, the two Americas results, ICC Development Initiative of the Year, Cricket Argentina, and the 100% Cricket Female Cricket Initiative of the Year to Cricket Brazil. Let's just go through these one by one. We'll start with the Development Initiative of the Year, uh, awarded to Argentina, uh, it was a coaching, coaching, umpiring, and scoring course, but it wasn't limited to just Argentina. They opened it up to parts of the Spanish-speaking world, particularly in the Americas. I think over 250 people were involved in it uh, from seven different countries across the region, which did actually include Brazil, who are predominantly Portuguese-speaking, talking to a couple of people involved in a few places around South America and the Americas region. They raved about this program. They thought it was a really good idea 
to take away, I suppose, the difficulties of the English language for, for people that, that do learn English as a second language. And, and Nick, just to kind of conceptualize the game in, in a language that's most comfortable for people, uh, it is really important in, in, in the game development and it provides a, a good understanding for those you know 250 plus people to go on and teach the game to, to future generations. Yeah, this is this is really important. I think Spanish being a major world language um, with you know over three hundred million speakers, numerous countries all through South America, the official language. I just think it's the kind of thing that the ICC should be doing in terms of you know creating content. I know they've they've done a good job with um, some regional Indian languages. So I'm just thinking, you know, with with a language this big, it, it's a potential growth market for cricket. Why is there not more resources in Spanish? And so good on Cricket Argentina for you know noticing that gap and and instead of just sort of sitting around saying oh why isn't it there? They've they've taken it upon themselves and they've um you know they've created these resources and you know it, it's it's part of the you know global tapestry of cricket is seeing the game played in other languages you know and 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 you know other cultures making it their own is something that we sort of we don't see as often as we should and i think it's um you know i'm getting sort of um macro or, or almost metaphysical you know the fact that it is it is approached through the english language and and i think that lends a level of um colonial hangover to cricket and and a lot of the you know being a bit exclusionary and, and a bit elitist and and all those sorts of negative stereotypes around cricket i think the fact that it is so heavily promoted through english and that there isn't uh, you know, local scenes and, and cultures adapting it uh, as much as, say, soccer, you know, all around the world, you know, you can just find resources for that game in that, you know, each country's language. And so I think, yeah, it's a great initiative from Argentina. Completely agree, Nick. It's great. And and I know that, for example, our good friend Craig White from Mexico um, had talked about this for a while of, of wanting to see resources in, in Spanish. The flip side is, and we may have mentioned it once or twice, that a lot of times when you then go in to teach in a local language, the players or the school, i.e. teachers, may say, well, no, you know, it's the you know, cricket is also a way of teaching English as well in terms of positions and terms and, and whatnot. That's fair. No, I'm, I'm, what I'm saying, it's a win-win. That if you're able to approach in terms that, that are, are local and under, being able to be understood, but also if they go back to using it as a tool to teach, teach English, you can kill two birds with one stone there and you're not left, oh, look, we've only got things in English or, or vice versa. So, no, that, that's excellent. There were a lot of countries that did many good things in lockdown and reading about the, the regional winners, it was good to see that common idea across the associate world of, oh, we're in lockdown, we can't play. Um, but we can sure as hell learn and, and teach each other and, and skill everybody up to be ready when we're allowed out, out again. So that was really heartening to see. Yeah, that was a common theme across that category. Cricket mania was, was similar uh, and Namibia's uh, involvement in their coaching courses and, and things like that as part of their program were a big part of that. And yeah, something that you mentioned there, Nick, I, I just was kind of I thought to myself you know the idea of the Spanish commentator in in football that goes nuts when a goal is scored (laughs) it's like imagine that when a wicket's taken or a six has been hit I just think that would be incredible incredible viewing you Um, know as soon as you said that like before Nick you know another it's great to see yeah exactly Say, 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 say. What is that? Is that six? Yes, that's six. Ah, Roger. Okay. Because we have Maximo. What's Maximo in Spanish? It's exactly the same. What's a wicket? What's wicket? 
Well, that depends. Like, there's there's a bunch of different terms. So different different countries. And this is one of the really cool things that um, I think is missing from cricket a lot of the time. Yeah, you know, there's there's different terms from different um, Spanish speaking countries. Well, let's make it make it easy. We'll just call them all. I don't know something outs. There we go. Oh, <laughs> duh, Tim Cutler, you are you have been suspended from the emerging cricket podcast. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. 100% Cricket Female Cricket Initiative of the Year went to Cricket Brazil, rolling out their central contract system last year, uh, becoming the first country ever to do or, or to to sign the women onto professional contracts before the men's side of things. Uh, we talked to Matt Featherston uh, about this last year after all of that was announced and, and he outlined the, the blueprint for Brazilian cricket. And, you know, it made a lot of sense to us the way that he would go about it. There are a lot of programs associated in the contract system. The younger players are attending university. Other players are doing coaching and other physical education as part of that as well. And, and looking at the, the women's initiatives, there were a lot of different ways that that members went about this, uh, the regional winners, and and all of them did an outstanding job in their in their own right. But to look at Brazil, they're setting an example for many different and many more associate members down the line who can reward their elite women's players with professional contracts and a future in the game of cricket without the worry of uh, of the financial side of things. Yeah, I, I thought this was um, you know as as we discussed at the time was, was very big news. And um, you know the fact that they you know they're linking it to a broader program of of development and um, you know helping the community. And a lot of these initiatives were um, about community change and and an empowerment of of women, which is fantastic. So I think the Brazilian one deserved winners because they've managed to unite the on field stuff with with the contracts and and full time um, training and and obviously they're targeting results in their upcoming regional qualifiers and you know keep keep an eye out for that I, you know they've got a good chance of possibly even winning the group i think but as well having it linked to the yeah the, the broader community aspect is um yeah bring, bringing together the the two sides of um the, the project for cricket brazil and and the um you know the the, the amazing work being done in Poço de caldos with with the um you know outreach to underprivileged kids and and um yeah I, you know keep going cricket brazil I, just quickly i would like to um you know mention a couple of the other ones the samoan um healthy nanas program i thought was a really good one it's um you know partnership with the australian government uh, basically using uh, the modified version of cricket the, the pacific cricket to help samoan women learn about health initiatives and um i think that's that's really good another example of community outreach both in terms of fitness and and broader social and um and health outcomes and um yeah the the malaysians and the nigerians also had some some great initiatives as well um yeah reaching out to, to underprivileged social groups and and using cricket to its full potential and this is what we love so much about the sport is is its ability to bring people together and and create change for good and and so i I think these um these awards are are just a great example of um recognizing that from the icc and i think so that with malaysia's regional win the news broke this week as well didn't they They, they're putting was it 15 full-time women's national contracts as well and from the report they use the word tantamount to the men's contracts now i'm assuming they're saying that that's going to be on a level pegging from a contract value point of view but um it might just be the terminology being used and if so that's great news 
well, amazing news. You know, we've we've talked about the contract issues with the Nepal men and women, the disparity there, and to see a, a leader in development of, like Malaysia putting a flag in the sand there and saying that uh, both the men and women are going to be paid the same is a, is another great move from them. Moving to your future home, Timothy, the ICC Digital Fan Engagement of the Year went to the Vanuatu Cricket Association broadcasting the women's T20 and the inaugural Vanuatu T10 Blast. Uh, The reach for that tournament across the social media platforms, the news traction that it gained over a period of May and June there where there was little to no international sport of any kind anywhere very much made the most of the of the situation that they were in. But if you look at it from a more inward sense, there was an uptick in, in particularly women's participation in cricket after that tournament, which suggests that the again the exposure and and being able to to watch that on local television and on the streams was hugely beneficial to different areas. Santo, the island of Santo, had their own women's T20 competition with you know plays in that tournament so good that they were actually fast tracked into the into the national women's team, into the squad, into the system there. So, but but looking at at some of the numbers that they reached, you know, millions of people saw it. You know, some Vanuatu cricket in in at some point over seven hundred pieces across um, the world covering the Vanuatu tournaments there. And, you know, we were lucky enough to kind of team up and provide some copy for them as well. But, Tim, I know you're heading into that direction very soon. You've watched this predominantly from the outside. But as you are incoming now, how do you guys build on this success? And what do you think that the plan is to kind of take it to the to the next level, perhaps? Well, before I get into answering that, I think the what well, amazing thing, or even more amazing for the numbers that were supplied, is that those are the numbers only from the VCA channels. You know, the, the numbers from third-party broadcasters have never actually got to the VCA. So those those numbers again would be extrapolate that that out to you know the likes of Crick Tracker and 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 everyone else that that carried the streams would be you know we're talking hundreds and hundreds of millions engagement or just just people looking at it, which is amazing. And as you said, you know it was it was a time when nothing else was going on but it wasn't just that it happened and people watching it because of it it was the nature and work which it was presented and it was great to see that reflected in the judges comments that came through and it was a moment for for cricket in the country as well cricket had never been on terrestrial tv there before and part of this happening was that them getting it onto tv there and teaching the the, the local broadcasters about getting cricket up and running which has meant that now when they have big games they can actually they'll talk to the, the broadcasters and, and you know there's a cost involved and this is something that I look I sort of half answered your question already but moving forward about how that can be something that happens more regularly and something that's a lot more cost efficient for for the cricket association and that's all about the commercialities and finding partners but also getting the, the government run tv broadcaster to to see the value in it as well but that that's so many good things came out of it beyond just the, the exposure so how do you do you take it from there you you make sure that you have development programs that are easily accessible and club cricket in as many places as, as possible as well and i think that they're, they're really simple things but they're really simple things that have been done well and it's just a matter of scaling up and like every other 
cricketing nation there's literally tens of thousands of kids picking a bat up during the year it's keeping them in the game and filling out the middle of that pyramid so it's not too broad at the bottom and just get turns into a a sharp spike of the talent that makes it through it's about bringing those kids into you know cricket into their lives and and making it a sort of a lifelong pursuit and maximizing their time in the game and the the effect that it can have on on them and, and their families you know we've talked about before the fact that the men's team are all full-time contracted and um, also development officers there too there's no reason why the more that the game grows that that can't happen on the women's side as well so that's what you do and then you also make sure when those opportunities come up whether it's a similar t10 blast or the vanuatu national teams being in in global events or the chance of of doing something completely different either with regional partners um, or indeed something some other franchise idea once things open up to also get the world looking in Vanuatu again. So it's not very sort of exciting answers when it comes to it. There's just a lot of hard work in the background is to make it more accessible and more visible. So like the, the comment before about Olympic particip- well, participation goes up after Olympic inclusion, it's no different here. You've got to make sure that you're ready for that influx of, of interest, but you've also got to make sure it's suited to the community. And that's why all the all the programs linked to educational themes in the community are really important because they should already be happening and people already know about the sport, but to actually have that next level where it can turn into a, a club and sporting pursuit. Well, it sounds like the future of the game in that part of the world is in very good hands, Timothy. Uh, and finally, the Cricket for Good Social Impact Initiative of the Year went to Uganda. There were a lot of, of different ways that the members went about this, but COVID relief and, and support uh, with so many people, you know, finding themselves in, in distress last year. Uganda took a, a pretty philanthropic approach to, to all of that, uh, went around, worked as frontline workers, helped the underprivileged in, in the regions around the Lagogo ground uh, in Kampala, among other initiatives. We saw so many countries and, and members having to pivot and, and to provide help to people around them, to the to the general public, and also helping some of the players and coaches actually involved in their in their situation and, and as part of their organisation. So, looking at Uganda, they were given this 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 global award and and they were quite deserving. But if you were to look at at all of the the members and all the nominees, a lot of them went to to great lengths to to help out parts of of their country, Nick. Yeah, stiff competition from Bhutan, who had similar sort of thing with a lot of their setup and, and team members uh, involved in really important frontline services. But Uganda, you know, opening up the ground to help people in need, yeah, it was, it was just great. And and you know, it it shows that they, you know, their resources are pretty, you know, they're stretched thin at the best of times. So finding it, you know, within their budget and you know within themselves to dig deep and and help. I think it was over fifteen hundred people who who came through and got. I believe it was food and PPE and and other essential services like hand sanitizer and whatnot. You know, just people coming through and and just getting whatever they need. And it was it was tough for Uganda with a lot of um you know economic problems with with the lockdown related to it. So. I think this is an example of cricket embedding itself within the local community and and forming part of the community in a way that goes beyond just you know having a ground where people play some sport and and actually you know building those those links which which is really important to growing the game. Yeah, you you raise a really good point. You know, a lot of these members are outstretched as it is and in a year of such difficulty that that so many had it, it was phenomenal to see how, you know the efforts that that so many of these members 
went to uh, around the world and uh, yeah not just in Uganda but you know all five regions with as you said some pretty stiff competition congratulations again to all of the global winners of the IC development awards as well as the regional winners again a competitive year which I think kind of proves to us just how strong well how strong associate cricket is at the moment or at least as strong as it, it as it's kind of ever been to have this much competition among the awards is quite telling once again congratulations to all the members let's move on to a little bit of news Netherlands and Scotland are set to take on each other in one day internationals in Rotterdam confirmed for May 19 and May 21 now was a little discussion point that I wanted to bring up here, gents, and I'm thinking about the difficulties of of moving around internationally and, and hosting international cricket, and to look at the Netherlands, Nepal, Malaysia tri series, which in so many ways is you know it's a miracle that that will most likely be completed by the time this is published. We still haven't seen the end of that. It's a miracle that we've had you know all of that go on almost without a hitch. They they lost crowds. They weren't allowed to, to bring them in from I think it was match four onwards. But I look to this particular series, a two match one day international series. And first to you, Nick, I, I want to ask. Look, these players are going to have to go through you know a lot of protocol just to make sure that these matches take place in terms of COVID, in terms of quarantine, in terms of testing. Is it all worth it for two matches? Is there any chance you know we're going to see more games tacked on to this? particular tour I feel like it's a lot of trouble for for two international matches as much as the guys would love to play and as much as we would love to see them play I feel like it's almost a little bit counterintuitive if there's only two matches yeah it's it's a little strange you'd hope that you know once they've gone to the effort of getting there they they might play a few more games but yeah I I don't know I I think I, I mean there's definitely a case to be made you know looking at I know we'll we'll wrap the um the uh, Bajaj Pulsar Tri-Nation Series Strength Partner Shivam Cement. Um, <laughs> oh, mate. Well, no, hey, well done. Yeah. Well done. yeah. Oh, Ole. We're going to have a challenge. It's going to be like the Big Mac challenge where you've got to say it all and you've got to be able to say it within eight seconds. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap that um, in, a, in a future podcast. But I, I think seeing that and, and seeing how rusty the Netherlands have looked, I, I reckon there's definitely a case to be made that just getting any international cricket you can, you know, wherever you can take it, is is worth grabbing with both hands. You know, the, the flip side of, well, is it worth it on, you know, for two games? Well, you know, if, if you're in a situation where you, you're getting almost no games, are you really going to be turning down two ODIs? Fair point. But I think to Bez's question, you know, two ODIs are everything that you need to go through these days. What's going to have to be done and then the cost incurred? But, you know, the fact has been confirmed, great. Cricket, I know we've talked about the potential of all these series happening in Nepal and whether there could be, you know, ICC cricket going on. Um, but the fact that countries are now talking about it and planning it and putting putting things in place, which it got me thinking, uh, thinking that Scotland and the Netherlands, remembering when the T20 Slam guys put on that tri-series when it didn't happen, I, I thought, oh, I wonder if they're behind that and sort of pumping a bit of money in this to get them playing again. But the fact that Ireland aren't involved probably says no. Um, but it's good that it's definitely one that I think that they've been playing for a while and must have you know had an agreement that was going to happen. This was the first time that they they could. Jeez, if you're a batsman playing in this series, you, you'd want to hope that you'd make at least one start out of two in this in this series. If you're going to all of those lengths, you know, only to find yourself out twice in the space of yeah, a handful of balls. <laughs> Spoken like a true batter, that one. You know, yeah, and especially one that didn't particularly score a lot of runs a lot of the time too. You know, I know what it's like sitting on you know on the side doing sweet FA. <laughs> <laughs> 
<clears throat> moving on, and let's move to Nepal with the Tri-Series going on there. We will be having a complete wrap show specifically for the Tri-Series at the end of the tournament. But a couple of little things that we wanted to bring up as discussion points as we lead into it, gents, talking about the organization and the way that it's been run, a couple of pass marks in, in some things, but other things definitely needed some work. I'll start with the positives. You know, the wicket was very conducive to some high-end international cricket. The wicket was quick, high scoring. You know, the fans, when they were allowed in the place, really did enjoy it. And even, you know, when they weren't allowed in, I saw them climbing up trees to, to watch the game. <laughs> such as the the fanaticism in that part of the world. But looking at some of the other issues, and the first day of the tournament was definitely marred by issues with the stream. Uh, It seems as if there are a lot of avoidable things that, that happened, especially on that first day. I don't remember watching a single complete over without some sort of issue. And, you know, hearing from our various sources in that part of the world, it's kind of been brought to our attention that a lot of the organization was very last minute even in terms of of getting the production team actually into nepal as well something like that can so easily be avoided i think and we saw in the future days tim that you know the stream was relatively issue free which tells me that you know the, the technology's there and available once it's right, but there just wasn't that lead up to ensure that it was going to work in a seamless fashion on day one of the tournament. And ultimately, we missed most of that due to technological issues, and a lot of the rights holders were very unhappy. Well, double-edged sword there. I think that a lot of people missed out on it, especially in Europe. But it was probably, I think, it was Bertus that said it was for the best that that stream didn't get watched in uh, in the Netherlands by many after a nine-wicket defeat. I can't really add much to to what you said. You know, it just seemed exactly that that everything was done last minute, and it was not a good look at all for that that first game. And again, similar to the you know point about how Vanuatu were able to capitalise on the on the opportunity. And I remember that first day, there were some teething issues with the speed of the stream and it was a bit choppy. But you, you look at it now and compare that to, to what we saw out in Nepal. Apparently, the TV stream in Nepal was okay because they were the pirated streams that were being put up on, on, on YouTube and then being taken down quicker, uh, just as quick as they were, they were going up, which I thought was an interesting move when your stream's not working where it's supposed to, but yet you're taking down the, the pirate streams. But that's a... That's a thought for an, another day, but yeah, um, I, I saw the the keyboard heroes jump to your uh, the, the comment section on your uh, on your piece when it was posted across Facebook and Twitter, saying that you know, well, you know, it's great that a, an associate's doing their own ODIs, and you should be happy that it's better than last time. It's like, let's stop. No, 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 we've got to put this inferiority complex to one side and no, A, many other associates have telecast and broadcast bilateral and, and franchise cricket from, from countries, you know. There's the means there to have got this done. It was just last minute, as you said, you know, since then it's been it's been smooth. But for those that, that turned in perhaps for the first time to watch associate international cricket, um, I think one of our, our um, patrons actually, Ashton, uh, Mascarenas saying that he, he his girlfriend sat down to watch it with him and she said oh is this you know third or fourth level cricket you know for, because of the way the stream came across and the, the quality of play and I know Netherlands didn't have the best day but I mean in general uh, this is this is high quality international cricket which we've seen seen since so you can only hope that this is one of those 
once bitten, twice shy moments. The fact that it is, you know, we've got to bear in mind that the Cricket Association of Paul's only been back in the game for the last couple of years and that they won't have the long-term experience of, of broadcasting matches like the Everest Premier League has um, and the, the experience and skill they've brought up there. But I think, you know, we, we talk about Nepal being the poster child of passion in the associate game and you'd want to see the broadcast reflecting that passion and, and the skill that's there. Yeah, and that, that's that's the thing for me, Tim. Is just you know you, you look at the fan base and and you know guys climbing up the trees or, or trying to you know sneak their heads over the wall when they're locked out of the, the the ground. And you know obviously there's an appetite for cricket and and for good cricket and for good coverage of cricket. And I, I just think the fans deserve better. And uh, you know you you if you've got that demand for a product, you you owe it to your you know customer base as it were to to produce a good product rather than just sort of slapping something together at the last minute which you know looks like is is what happened um as you said bez the next couple of days after the first one was was a mess the next couple of days were fine which yeah basically just have a have a have a practice run make sure you've got everything hooked up properly and your sound levels are fine like it's it's pretty basic stuff and and you know for a country of 30 million of which quite a significant number of cricket fans having such a mediocre production is just not good enough and and they need to do better yeah well there's a couple of things there i mean there's no reason why they couldn't have perhaps a a pre-tournament show the day before almost to use it as a as a guinea pig to make sure that everything was good to go you know even if if it was lenny and Sharad vasorka you know talking to each other in a a pre-tournament show and to get out there the day before and just make sure that that everything you know works well you only need a couple of people to to double check that's all good and then yeah a few of the comments that came in were really odd because you know i remember vividly the 2018 everest premier league i think one of the first events that nepal streamed on on television and to the world via youtube and facebook it was almost seamless you know there are a couple of issues here and there but you know amir akhtar's been doing this for you know almost three years now you know he's He's someone that you know might have needed to be consulted, perhaps a little bit more in in all of this when it was put together in terms of just yeah making sure that the, the stream was good to go. And now you know you're selling the rights to people. You know people are buying these these products from rights holders. You know I personally paid you know a monetary fee to to watch the games via Sportsflick. Yeah, I think we all did. I think it, you know. It, it might not have been a terrible lot of money. I think it was $8 or $9 to pay for the stream, but it's the principle of that. You know, if you're paying for a product, you're expecting a product that works. And on the on day one of the tournament, the product didn't work. And that's something that, that needs to be ironed out. And yeah, these, the priorities, you know, that, that lie in Nepali cricket sometimes. I mean, I love the place, but I do find it, you know, it can be a little bit baffling at times, you know, as part of the, you know, the, the VIP section and part of the play section, there's a butler, you know, handing out tea to some of the players. But <laughs> that was amazing. You know, by the same token, you know, the producers and the, and the broadcasters didn't know if there was going to be a super over in the, in the tied match that Malaysia and the Netherlands had. So... I do find sometimes that the priorities, you know, aren't quite laid out and and put in a list of needs the way that they probably should be. As I said, we'll wrap the tournament properly uh, at the end of it. We'll have a, a special EC pod to discuss all of that and all of the issues that a statistician uh, for the production would have been able to help out with. But that's another story for a different day. That's definitely not a loaded comment from me. <laughs> Hi, I'm Irene van Seil from the Namibian national ladies team. I'm the captain and thank you for listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast.
Once again, a reminder that we will be wrapping the T20 International Tri-Series between Nepal, Malaysia, and the Netherlands in full over the coming days. Make sure to look out for that full-length show. But to end this week's program, some news from around the world. And first to Namibia with the men's team welcoming the South African emerging team this week in Vinsuk. The team will play three T20s and three 50-over matches all at the Wanderers' ground. Malaysia has announced a 12-month contract system for 15 national women's cricketers this week with players paid allowances in a tiered grade system. On top of playing deals, the group will also have access to medical insurance, welfare support and education funds. The Rwanda Cricket Association has announced intentions of staging the Kwabuka T20 tournament in Kigali in early June, an event to commemorate the Rwandan genocide. The tournament was cancelled last year due to COVID with several African countries invited to participate in 2021. And finally, the USA has announced an intra-regional hardball competition representing the first step in the pathway for women's cricket in the USA. Starting in May, the tournament will enable local teams within regions to face off ahead of representative events and national championships. That's everything in the Emerging Game this week. For more on the news around the world, log on to EmergingCricket.com. And on behalf of Tim Cutler, Nick Skinner and myself, Daniel Beswick, see you next week.